Shut up and sit down. Oh, hello, listeners. Barstool Politics. Those of you that are listening uh, on iTunes, uh, we have the audio, but we also are trying a uh, Facebook Live video, uh, which took us a couple couple hours. (laughs) Mixed results. (laughs) So if if you're watching on the video, you see Phil Barker as a still photo. (laughs) That was a compromise we had to make. Yeah. Um, So, Phil, you can hear us okay, right? I can. Welcome back from Finland. Thank you. Yeah. How was that? Y'all jet lag still? I am, but I'm 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 doing all right. Uh, a beer at it's uh three in the morning Finland time, so drinking beer. I'm sure I'll make perfect sense tonight. Of course. I'm sure we all will at this point. I'm not I'm not hearing you well, Nick. Oh, you're not. No. Oh. Let's check your audio. You good? How about now? No, much better. Much Yay. much better, Nick. So <laughs> so if we're uh, we might be really good given all the stress with the technology. I think that usually helps, right? When you spend an hour and a half stressing over technology and then start yeah. talking politics. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. Um, where, well, where are we starting? Well, we given the the stress, let's start with Hurricane Harvey. <laughs> so, it has been exactly a crazy what week. Going through. It has. Yeah. We'll we'll do a couple. We'll do a more lengthy discussions of uh, Hurricane Harvey, and then we're going to talk about uh, President Trump pardoning uh, Joe Arpaio for about fifteen minutes, and then we'll jump into speed rounds because there's there's too much to do. So, Phil, you're from Texas. Do you want to start us off? Maybe some some reactions you had to what what happened or what is continuing to happen uh, in in Texas right now in Houston. Yeah, so I, I'm 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 a native Houston. I, I lived there for many years, and I have lots of family there. So, yeah, it, it's I mean, there's lots of aspects to the story that are worth talking about. Um, I, I mean, I think we can talk about some of the politics of it and Trump and and whatnot. But I mean, it's worth talking at the beginning just about the. It's hard to wrap your head around how massive this storm is and this flood is um yeah like so it's now as of yesterday the 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 biggest rainfall in the history of north america i think is what i saw so it's like at 52 inches which is it's just hard to wrap your head around that well in in recorded history there could have been some pretty bad ones with dinosaurs and and mammoths and you know i just want to temper good point nick good point sorry i just want to for fact checking yeah. <laughs> other than so, dinosaur time this is a big one <laughs> so yeah i mean I, and the other thing i think that people who aren't from houston may not really get is the size of houston just how massive the city is both in population i mean it is the fourth largest city in the country but in just in terms of physical size as well it it is just a huge city and so to have the amount of flooding that you have happening over this broad of an area is um yeah it really i mean when the when national weather service is talking about how this is unprecedented there's never been an event like this that that's kind of i mean it's 
it, it really is hard to comprehend, I think. Well, and the design of Houston as well, or the lack of design, right? I mean, my experience coming, driving through Houston a few times is that it is sprawl for miles and miles and miles. I mean, there, there's there's no real planning. So this is, Houston is a, a, a terrible city to have the, this deluge of, of rain. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of factors at play. Houston is a city that is not necessarily fond of zoning. So it's, um, that's one of the ways that you, it, it plays out. But the other part is that I think the, the makeup of Houston, because it's so flat, I mean, part of what I think people don't also necessarily get is that part of the flood control plan for Houston is to have certain areas flood, like highways and parks and whatnot. So um, when you see highways that have become rivers, that's part of the plan. And in a normal rain that, you know, that happens and it avoids flooding people's houses and then it goes down. And this is just not in any way normal. So that that sort of planned flooding happened and then it just kept going. You know, one of the political had an article this week and it really struck me in a powerful way. And I think the headline was like, this is what climate change looks like. Right. And I think people are uncomfortable throwing the politics on top of this. But but the reality is, I think Houston's had, what is it, three 500 year floods in the last couple of years, three years, yeah. three years. Uh, and so the fact that this is this is occurring at this regularity and then again with this severity, it, it's something's going on, Nick. Well, I mean, it's been if we're going, it's close to a week at this point. Right. right, right. And they were. Uh, it, there was one report that I had heard, which I thought was uh, terrifying. The storm was moving at a pace where you could walk faster than mm-hmm. it. And the fact that it's making yeah. multiple landfalls between Houston and Louisiana. And right. I mean, Louisiana, um, there was another report that uh, New Orleans, their um, pump system wasn't yeah. functioning right. properly. Fully, yeah. So had it hit them as well, it would have been a, another disaster on top of this. It's just, it's a horrible, horrible situation. And I feel like it's not, it's definitely getting a lot of coverage, but you don't really grasp the severity of it yet, I think. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think you can't, it's, yeah, I mean, the the fact that you have millions of people who are essentially cut off and, you know, out of reach of basic supplies and, you know, houses underwater. Uh, yeah, it'll be, I mean, hopefully the the fact that it was a rain event instead of a storm surge event, so it wasn't like waves coming in and like the push of the storm means the waters rose more slowly than like in Katrina. So hopefully that means that there will be less loss of life. Um, but uh, ma- I mean, in terms of loss of property, it's going to be, I, I imagine, the, the most destructive storm in history. Sure. And the duration is, I mean, so the reality is that for all of those public officials who are going to be tested, from local officials, you know, the governor, and all the way up to Donald Trump, that, that we haven't even begun that stage yet, right? This is something that the duration is going to be long, and the test for the for the government is, is going to be substantial. Because you're right, we don't really know the damage until these waters recede, and my guess is that it's not going to be pretty once all that water goes no. away. No, I mean, right. they're already saying the damage that Melania Trump has been taking over her, the shoes Heels? that she was wearing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's horrible what's happening already. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know much about <laughs> shoes. Phil, you like high so, heels. <laughs> I do, I do. They're my, my favorite shoe to wear. So it feels a little wrong to talk about in the, in the, you know, while people are still, you know, evacuating and getting out of their houses, it feels a little wrong to talk about the politics of it. But I, I feel like since this is a politics podcast, we should talk a little bit about absolutely some of the politics. Um, uh, and I don't know how we where or how we jump into that. I mean, so I, I guess let me I guess we could talk about Trump and his his reaction and his his visit a little bit. And I, I have a couple of things that I can say about that, I guess. 
one of which is that he's responded in a very Trumpian way, which is that he continues to like tout like it's the biggest storm ever, not in a like my heart goes out to people, but in a like he seems to be a man who views the world through the lens of like ratings, right? Yeah. This is the biggest and best and it's happening while I'm president. And there's almost like a giddiness in the way he yes. talks about it. That's a little disturbing. Well, what, where was it where he said, who was he talking to when he actually was in Houston about how great of a crowd it was? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That was right. when he, he was actually in. So he went to, I think to Corpus Christi, which okay. was where the hurricane hit mm-hmm. um, initially uh, and yeah, yes. So at the at, at this like you know amidst the destruction, talking about what a great crowd it is, he's just it's just that's what his mind focuses on. Right. Now, I, I I'm glad that he went, and it's not, it, it, there's been some critique that he didn't talk to victims or anything. He just flew in, like had a press conference, a meeting with some officials, and then left. But I guess apparently he's going back again this weekend to Houston now. Yeah, those are the reports. And, and and I'm glad because I think. The one thing that we have learned about Trump or that it seems like is that he can his emotions can be or he can be affected by the stuff he sees. So whether we're talking about the Syria chemical weapons or by like I had another example. Um, There have been a few times where he's been like exposed directly to the, you know, some some concrete manifestation of something that has happened. And it's led him to act in a way that, you know, was sort of decisive. And and I I kind of think that a visit like being exposed to the actual destruction might in some ways move him in a way that leads him to actually take it seriously and, and respond in a way that would be appropriate. But no, I don't know if that's right, no, I think that's, that's a good point. The other thing is, is Trump, you get the sense he knows what a president is supposed to look like, you know, whether, you know, whether that leads to actual policy or doing the right thing, but he gets a sense of the optics. And it was very clear that the administration knew that he wanted to be out in front of this, that uh, you know, he didn't want a Katrina-like reaction to this, and, and visiting it was important, but they knew not to go into affected areas. So I think they handled that fairly well, uh, if, if only for the optic element. But again, that's important. That's part of it, right? So that's the first test. Do you show up? Do you do what you're supposed to do? You know, I think the more difficult test is, is as time goes on. Uh, you know, you're, the big challenge that's going to rise is budgets, right? So we've right. got this budget impasse where, you know, the, Trump has talked about uh, shutting down the government uh, if they don't build a wall. Well, I think that has to go out the window now, right? I, you would assume. I mean, and, and the idea <laughs> there was a lot a, of assuming, right? There was a I can't remember what Trump's budget proposed a ten or eleven percent cut to FEMA. That's out the window, right? I mean, I think. think uh, this might expedite that process and bring at least Repub- well, I think Republicans and Democrats together on that political issue. So, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. There, there's this other interesting political uh, sort of schism or, or issue that's going on here, which is the fact that, uh, and I, I've been here. So it's interesting being a Texan living in New England, right? So you've got um, this dynamic where uh, there was a lot of opposition along budgetary lines, not necessarily, you know not a screw you northeast sort of thing but after after uh hurricane or superstorm standy or whatever hit um a few years ago there was opposition to you know funding government you know federal response money large not large not entirely but they basically the entire republican delegation from texas voted against funding <laughs> storm relief no, to ted, new ted, jersey ted and, cruz says no he was really supportive of that but was forced to vote against it <laughs> so so he yeah so he said that he he it, it's been interesting to watch ted cruz try to squirm around in these interviews to explain <laughs> yes. why he was in opposition to that but once 
support. And Chris Christie had, I don't know if you saw, he had an interview today in which he kind of ripped into, into Ted Cruz. So it, it's, uh, this is the unfortunate side, right? Where you get into like these politics overla- overlaying this disaster where no one should be bringing politics into it. But it'll be interesting to see the ways in which that plays out. So I, Ted Cruz did say the reason he didn't vote for the Sandy relief was because there was pork attached, that there was money for Alaska or whatever. Um, and so somebody, I guess, asked him if there would be any pork in the, like, would they present a clean bill for, for state support? And his response was, we're going to focus on Texas or whatever. So, you know, it's like all of this, you know, the hypocrisy and whatnot of politics kind of playing out as well. The other thing that strikes me about it is if we're thinking about climate change, and I realize that's a a politicized topic right now, but the reality is that this is likely to occur more and more and more with greater frequency, with greater strength. uh, And this is something the government has to adjust to. And it's likely to hit. I mean, if we think about where hurricanes are likely to hit, it's likely to hit Republican states. Uh, and and so that that raises this really interesting question: Is how does I mean, Phil, you're a Texan. Do, do you think this changes how Texans think about climate change, or do they just say like, oh, this is just another another big storm? I mean, does it have a meaningful shift? I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm skeptical that it has a meaningful <laughs> shift. Yeah, I mean, so this is I mean, this is the example of where you have all sorts of. Um, so the storm was not it's not it's not caused by climate change but it's certainly probably encouraged by it right so warmer air and warmer waters mean you have bigger storms and that hold more moisture and and stuff like that but at the same time it's also still anecdotal right like it's possible that there there could have been no climate change and you still could have had a storm this big right so it's it's one of those things where it is going the story is going to be able to play to whatever your political preconceived notions are right if you're opposed to if you think there's no such thing as climate change you can you know think this is a bad storm and climate change is you know dumb or not part of it if you believe in climate change you can use this as evidence that it's you know and so um yeah i i don't i'm i'm skeptical that that it will change that many minds but who knows who knows i i mean with a, a Republican administration and a Republican-controlled Congress, you would think that at some point the discussion wouldn't necessarily be, this isn't caused by ki- uh, climate change, it's, it has nothing to do with it. It would be about economic um, stability and security. So what are the things that we can do to prevent this from happening going forward, um, saving costs on uh, FEMA and um, disaster relief, and also encourage private industry to get involved in that practice and create new methods of preventing things like this from happening. But the interesting thing about that, right? So you think about what Trump and the Republicans have had to deal with. So they had to deal with health care. That's not something they want to talk about. No. Now we're talking about disaster relief. And, and you're kind of talking about potentially infrastructure development, whether that's right. private. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what Democrats like. Right. <laughs> you know, Republicans are really in an awkward position that yeah. they're not pre- not prepared. It's, this is not what they want to be talking about. No. no. It's, but I mean, what can they talk about at this point that isn't you know, completely toxic. No, it's they're running out of stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's it's all bad. It's it, it's, all it is, bad. and, and uh, go ahead, Phil. Well, yeah, I don't know if we're going to change gears. I was just going to say that, yeah, we should we should we send out our thoughts and condolences and all of that to everybody who's still dealing with this and will be for a really long time. Yes, I think absolutely. Yeah, that's right. This is this is not something that's just going to be done in a week. So, 
All right. Our, the second, or in my sense, the second big story of the week was uh, Trump pardoning uh, former Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Woo, America. Uh, yes, <laughs> Sheriff Joe. Uh, for those of you that haven't really followed the Sheriff Joe story very well, um, that he was famous for uh, creating these, uh, what he would call like basically tent cities, concentration camps, uh, brutal prisons where he was happy that they uh, had awful food. He would actually show the inmates the food channel on TV, so he would be giving them basically gruel and then showing them the food channel. Um, he would right. also have the weather channel on so that they could see how cold it was in other parts when it was 120 under these tents, mm-hmm. and so maybe they would move to uh, Canada. And this, <clears throat> excuse me, this all came to a head uh, in the sense that he was targeting uh, Latinos who were crossing the border, so he was racially profiling. And ultimately, a court, a federal court, said, you can't do that anymore. A judge who was actually appointed by George W. Bush. Well, uh, Sheriff Joe Great thought this was a, a terrible idea and continued to do it. Uh, and then ultimately was found guilty and uh, was looking at uh, maybe six months of jail time. And then his good buddy, uh, Donald Trump, comes in and uh, pardons him. Uh, all reasonable, Phil, right? <laughs> so, God. The, the amazing thing is there there is such a long list of things that he should be in prison for. <laughs> yes, yes. And the one that he was actually facing charges for was relatively minor compared to, you know, I mean, this is a contempt of court. Ignoring uh, the federal court system. Right, <laughs> yes. right. So I, there's so many dimensions to this. Like, I, so I don't, I, I'm more interested in the Trump side of it than in the, the Arpaio side of it. Me right. Too, yeah. Um, and I think that the this is this is an abnormal pardon. There's been lots of discussion about how this didn't go the way pardons normally go. For instance, most of the time you actually are convicted of a crime. Not always, but you you know you're pardoned after you're convicted. A lot of times you're they wait. You have to serve some period of time before you're pardoned and and whatnot. None of that happened. Um, there wasn't a consultation with the Justice Department and all that. But um, Beyond all that, like I think there's there are a couple of as I thought about this this week, I think there's like two messages that I see Trump sending with this pardon. I think the way you have to understand it, and maybe you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this. Um, two messages that Trump is sending. One is this more abstract message, which is about the rule of law, right? Like, right. I mean, he's he's talked a lot about you know, attacking courts and the the. Um, the media as well, but in this case, I mean, we can talk specifically about attacking the judiciary and challenging judges, and you know, they're these idiot activist judges intervening in things. This is a, a direct uh, endorsement. Uh, I mean, so what Arpaio was convicted of was specifically, basically ignoring court orders, right? The the power that the court has to enforce, you know, its rules is through basically contempt violations, right? So he's basically said, I'm not going to do what the courts tell me. And Trump has said, I agree with that. So he's sort of endorsed like this view that the courts or the law doesn't really matter. So there's this big sort of rule of law is uh, unimportant message that comes out of it, which is really disconcerting to me. Um, so that that's the sort of abstract message. The other message that I think is a more concrete message that Trump sends with this is to people who are caught up in the Mueller investigation or other federal investigations, which says basically don't worry too much about the, the consequences of, of what, you know, don't feel too pressured to tell the truth or to cooperate with the courts because I've got your back, right? You, if you're on my side, I'll, I'll pardon you. I, sh- I pardon Sheriff Joe. Of course I'm going to pardon <laughs> you. Right. right. <laughs> you know? 
which is which is a shrewd sort of preemptive political message to yes. to I mean I don't know if he's actually thinking that many steps ahead or if it's just I like Joe and I'm going to pardon him because I think the crowds will like it um but either way I think it's effective at at sending that message I, I don't necessarily know if it goes any farther than he likes Sheriff Joe I, and I mean, he hates my, judges he hate and that's and I think that's and law and order so the thought process that I equate with this is realistically half of the country is going to despise me no matter what I do and the other half of the country is either going to be elated by what I do or at least eh, maybe give some understanding of why I'm doing this or hates the other side enough to go yeah he can do whatever the fuck he wants so why wouldn't I appeal to the one side that's that will actually support me in these decisions. Yeah, he's not worried about people who are going to be upset by this decision at no, all. You know, he's, not at all. He's not worried about the editorials that are coming after him. No. No, I, I think you guys are spot on. The, the, the law and order issue going after when you put this along with the firing of James Comey, uh, law and order clearly doesn't matter, right? I mean, he has a very different sense of how that, that should be playing out. And that's for me, that's troubling. This story, you know, when it first broke, it felt like a, a normal Trump goofball story, right? Oh, he did something that was outrageous and blah, blah, blah. And and as days have gone by, it's troubled me more and more, especially when I connect it to Charlottesville. Because you think about, you know, so what he's done in the last, you know, month is oh, basically... his timing is awful. It, it is, right? So in Charlottesville, he did this, you know, blame on many sides and then doubling down on that, right? You know, and, and not directly, but indirectly, basically supporting some of these Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazi groups. And then a few weeks later... He's pardoning, you know, Sheriff Joe, who clearly, I mean, in my sense, is is driven by racist motivations, right? I, I, and again, we we never know until we get in somebody's head. But this person so, seemed to to relish targeting so, Latinos. Just let me throw in real quick. Yeah. I, I I did read an article about the trial of of our the one thing that yeah. he was convicted on, and apparently he as part of that trial there was an event, he had deleted massive numbers of emails. Our bio did, and they recovered a whole bunch of them, and they were all laced with like racist anti Mexican like <laughs> stuff. So yeah, if you want to get into his head, you could actually do that. And yeah, he's he's a racist. So, okay, it's so, pretty clear. So, so I keep trying. What is the what is the innocent explanation for? Trump's comments on Charlottesville and then his pardoning of Sheriff Joe. And maybe it is, Nick. Maybe he just likes Sheriff Joe. Sheriff Joe's an old guy. They kind of share this mindset. I think he sees him as, as a foil to everyone who is opposed to him. Yeah. He's, I, like, I, I don't, I, like, realistically, I don't think he is a legitimate, 100% racist by any means. Trump. I, I, I don't think the, I don't think the thought process goes that deep. It could be, and I think I, he has a complicated relationship with race, right? That has gone on and off. Go ahead, Phil. I think he doesn't like people who don't like him. It's who I, are black. Well, it's interesting, Nick, because I've gone the, the last couple of weeks. I've gone the opposite direction, which was to to like I I wasn't necessarily convinced that Trump was a racist until the last couple of weeks, in which it's like I I kind of feel like. I don't know that he's necessarily got this like racist, you know, he's got his little racist checklist that he's going through to to bring about a better white world. But I think that um, like the last couple of weeks have have revealed that sort of the base reaction, like if you get down to it, his basic reaction to everything plays out on racist lines. Like I think that whether I don't know that he's sitting around thinking I'm racist, I hate black people or I hate Mexicans or whatever. But I, I think at the core, 
I, I'm sort of increasingly convinced that he is. Well, and we've so lowered the bar for him, right? I mean, I think you're right, Nick, that he has these impulses and doesn't think deeply about that. But he should think deeply about this, right? <laughs> no. He uh, should yeah. realize that his comments on Charlottesville are going to have a negative implication. I, I uh, 100% <laughs> agree. Again, his timing and his rhetoric are fucking atrocious. Yeah. But realistically, what he was saying, his comments after Charlottesville, they weren't necessarily wrong. I mean, there there is a, a division in the country where there is violence sure. on both sides. I, I I if you want to disagree with that, please let's have a discussion about no, it. No, I but, no, I, I I agree with you that he's not necessarily wrong, but it's like me launching into like a discussion of World War II in which I defend the Nazis by saying that atrocities were committed on all sides. Like it yeah. might technically be true, but it like it it's a little troubling for me to take the approach of you know, defending Nazi Germany because Americans can did some bad stuff too. Um, it's true. Americans did bad stuff, but it's a little weird for to hear me defending Nazi Germany in that context. But I, I mean, that's the impl- the implication there is that you're defending the other side. Uh, and realistically, again, I know the rhetoric that he used was it, it can go either way. I'll, I'll definitely say that there were some things that he was more in support of the idiots who are there. The cos- they're not even Nazis. They're cosplayers and, and LARPers. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm still torn on whether, you know, what ru- uh, Trump's true race motivations are, right? I mean, I think they've, they've shifted over time. I just think that he needs to he needs to think more deeply about some of these right. issues. Well, we know that's it's not so, going to happen. So it's so bad, and, and we should hold him accountable for the fact that you know this is this is troubling on a law and or you know in terms of respecting the judicial system. It's troubling in terms of racial dynamics, and and the, the what makes this clear for me is that Republicans get this right. Mitch right. McConnell. Uh, Paul Ryan, all of them came out and not, not talking about Charlottesville, which they did as well, but they're saying like, oh, I don't agree with this part. And John McCain couldn't have tweeted more quickly that he was against this, right? Well, so, I mean, he's just out for blood at this point. Oh, really. he can't stand <laughs> Trump, right? I mean, yes, but so, so the Republicans are as a as a party, other than the, like the Trump wing, are clearly, and I think to their credit, saying we do not want to be connected with this more, you know, nationalistic, racist element. But Trump doesn't do that. It keeps me up at night, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, uh, I I don't know. In in like I know you've you've thought about this more since Charlottesville and and you know his his comments over the past couple of weeks, and I've thought about it more over the past couple of weeks. And the response that we've seen both from the left and the media in general, I it makes me um, more concerned from the opposite perspective in in some instances so i i don't know there you know what there are valid points on both sides and you know (laughs) everyone is to blame for this (laughs) well i i do if you are donald trump jr you had to be smiling when this pardon came out or if you were michael flynn or if you're paul manafort because those guys i think are going to jail uh, and, and so this has to be, and I, again, I feel to your earlier point, I don't know if he's sending signals, but if he's trying to, this is this is a pretty clear one. He's sending signals. Uh, whether it's intentional or not, I don't know. But but yeah, there's a clear signal that's sent, right? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Sheriff, Sheriff, Sheriff Joe's a terrible guy. I'm just going to say that. Well, but, d- d- there was something on... on um, NPR had the first story they ever did on him, which was like back in like 1995, 
and it was about him going after uh, parents uh, who were behind on their child support payments, and he was putting together posses of like volunteers to go hunt these people down. That sounds like Sheriff Joe. And, like, so, <laughs> what, like, how did this not like come to the forefront earlier than oh. than when we were talking about? I him? mean, he didn't he send somebody to Hawaii to look into the whole birther issue? I mean, I mean, he's he's been all over this. Well, that's uh, a very legitimate concern, and we Nick. really never got to the bottom of it. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a tendency to like that in a like there's like this tendency in Americans to like that sort of like putting He's together a, a posse yeah. to go get child support violators yeah. like it, it's one of those things that it it like fits the story of like a western or like this sort of vigilante justice which is in the abstract really cool and exciting mm-hmm. in the concrete when you actually like see how it affects people and the way it plays out it's Awful! It's terrible. Hey man, but if, I he, do, I, if it was like 1850, he would be a friggin' folk hero. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I think yes. the other thing to to note is that when journalists come down and interview him, and like Trump, he loves doing interviews. He'll do any interview. He comes across as a nice guy. And uh, the Daily, so uh, the New York Times Daily podcast this week did a segment on him, and, and a reporter went down, and she said he's. You know, he's you like him. You want to hang out with him. So he's, you know, in a, at an interpersonal level, he's engaging. He's fun. He's dynamic. Uh, but a lot of these policies are just awful. So it's, I mean, life isn't simple, Nick. So no, well, no. <laughs> no. In the, in the, we found that out today. This is all very technical. Yes. I can't do any of this. Shit. The, I know that we're just at a, about out of time on the topic, but in a tie-in to our first topic, I, I think it's. <laughs> The, did you see Trump's comments about why he announced the pardon on Friday night late? Did you see that? In which I he did, says, but tell us. <laughs> so someone asked him about why it was it was. I mean, you had this massive news dump on Friday night of it was this and Gorka and a whole bunch of other stuff, which is how typically politicians do it when they want to hide not hide something, but yeah. they want to miss out on the news cycle, right? You drop it on a Friday night and then people go home for the weekend and don't think about it. So I think somebody asked him along those lines why he did it late Friday night. And his response was that he thought that announcing it in the middle of all of the Hurricane Harvey coverage would get excellent ratings. <laughs> <laughs> that that was almost as bad as his comment or his, his issue when he had the Finland prime minister and the woman oh. stood up. Uh, if people haven't seen this, go to our Facebook. I think I put it on Facebook and Twitter pages. Really? Her yes. again? Yes. <laughs> and so this woman from, from I think they were both women for, were from the Finland press. One asked a question earlier, and then later in the press conference, another woman next to her asked the question, and Trump thinks it's the same woman. And then the, the, the Finnish prime minister is just wonderful, Phil, right? He's like, no, no, it is not the same woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good Finnish accent. It's a good just, Finnish accent. They're just sitting speech, next to each other. racism. <laughs> no, his voice is kind of high. Well, I, I'm oh. just kidding. <laughs> the, the, the moment before he actually uh, asked the question where Trump is going, do you want to ask another question? Do, do you want to do that? Like he's talking to a five-year-old. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. It was it was such a big week. So I mean, that, the fact bad. that those stories should be big stories. Well, actually, not big stories, I but they're entertaining. All right. Should we talk beers and then go to speed round? Yeah, probably. All right, Phil, what are you drinking these days? So uh, I had I only had one because I'm still recovering from jet lag, and two I would have been asleep by the end of speed round. Um, so I had a Shed Brewery Mountain Ale, which is uh, out of Vermont, um, and I don't really have the words to describe it because my brain's not working fully. But it was I I really liked it. It was a uh, so I I like 
sort of lighter. I've been drifting towards lagers and, and lighter ales and stuff lately. Um, and this one was, it was, it was, it was nice. It was more substantial. It was, it wasn't as heavy as an IPA, but it had really kind of good full flavor. I, I was a fan. That's great. Uh, Nick, do you want to describe our the first beer we share? Uh, I, I can try. Yeah. So we had, oh, we have a camera. I can actually use this now. It was a uh, Harmony Foretold Cucumber Wheat Ale. Wheat Ale with cucumber flavor. Mm. There's a label right there. That's what it looks like. Um, I, I'm not, not impressed. I uh, wanted more cucumber. Yeah, I was really hoping yeah. there would be really? more cucumber. Yes. Yeah. That was the problem? It was kind not of enough problem. cucumber? Yeah. It um it just ended up being kind of a um I don't know it just felt kind of generic I was not getting cucumber at all no I, I had a similar reaction to it I was looking forward to it and I didn't like it as much um, and knowing that the the brewery's probably not listening at this point in the podcast I would say it was one of I was disappointed by it I don't even <laughs> so, know where it's out of it's it's out oh, of Wisconsin, Wisconsin. yeah okay, right, we'll yeah. Uh, so then I, I switched to a Oktoberfest from Buckle Down Brewery, uh, one of our favorite breweries. And uh, it was everything I get from Buckle Down is good. Uh, and I'm Literally usually everything. Yeah. Every, I'm not a huge fan of Oktoberfest, but this was it was it was just it was very good. Nick, I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, it was hearty, but not too thick, not too heavy. And on the side of their can, I hadn't seen this before. It says work hard, work with your hands, make great beer. Yay. Well done. Their stuff is great. Uh, I had a uh, actually had a couple different Revolution ones. So I had a Revolution Oktoberfest, um, which was very Oktoberfesty. Um, so kind of a you know not too heavy, not too light, um, kind of a caramely taste, um, little 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 chewable. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was fine. It was there. It yeah. was there. It was very. Very We're entering Oktoberfest season, so there should be lots of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, the third one, uh, which I just started, was an Amarillo Hero, um, which was an IPA. Um, hang on. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, kind of a, uh, it's kind of sour. Like, uh, yeah, really? But like, kind of in a good way. I didn't think that was possible. A, uh, um, it keeps it kind of light. Um, yeah, not a lot of uh, it's it's sour but not tart. If that makes sense, no, that makes sense. We should put these. So these are um, I am having a Revolution Crystal Hero. See, so I think they're yeah, they're the, kind of the same. Those uh, and this this is just I just had like one sip, but it's taking me to IPA heaven. I just <laughs> it's, this is the kind of beer. I just want to drink IPAs all the time. So with that, so we talk about this a lot. Um, I don't know if it's a, a regional thing or if it's more of a national thing, but there are so many friggin' IPAs around here. Yeah. If you're a listener and you have suggestions about beers that are not IPAs or you have a different type that you're interested in and you know would want us to, to try, um, shoot us an email, um, put a message up on Facebook or Twitter. Um, you can go on the Untapped app and message us through that uh, through there. Um, we'll have all of our beers listed that we try every week. Um, but yeah, always looking for different stuff, um, especially if it's something other than an IPA, although they're delicious. They are. Yeah. yeah. I just, before we go to speedrun, I just want to point something out. So we spent, it was an hour and a half, maybe two hours getting ready for the Facebook Live session. Yeah, and then yesterday too. Yeah, and yesterday. <laughs> and we now have two people checked in. 
Uh, one is Bill Muck and the other is Phil Barker. <laughs> so I would say this is a, a ringing success. Well, the we funny had, thing is we had, we had three people a minute ago, but we lost them. <laughs> the funny thing is, so I just looked on our, our Facebook page, and people liked the post, but they're not watching it. Well, that's it's another step, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep trying. All right. Oh. Speed round. Uh, you guys know the rules. We do five minutes on each topic, and then the bell rings, and we oh, stop. should have got talking. a timer to put on there. Damn it. Yes, we can, right. we can do that in the future. Fine. So. All right, topic number one, North Korea. Now, this is a topic we've hit on a, mo- a bunch of times, but we've never hit on it when they've actually shot a live missile over another country. Well, define live missile. Uh, a, a, a missile. Uh, okay. That could, it didn't you know, have a payload that, or that, anything. That has fire shooting out <laughs> yes, of the back. <laughs> yes. So traditionally what North Korea does is they launch their missiles way, 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 way up in the air at a really high angle, and then it comes straight down, and you, they can measure their distance that way, and you get a sense of how far they can go. But that's not really an accurate test. To really test it, you've got to fire it at a normal, the way you would t- fire a missile. Sure. So this week, North Korea decided, let's fire a missile over Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it was, I can't remember, was it Tuesday they did this, or whenever they did? Uh, they did this, and so Japan had to respond by putting an alarm out. The prime minister said everybody should take cover in the area. A big deal, even though it, it went over Japan and landed in the water. This is the first time that has happened. And this is a th- the thought is that this is testing their capabilities to strike Guam. Yes, correct? yes. All right. Oh, I got the sound off. Darn it. Oh, damn it. I missed no. I messed up the bell again. All right. All the, of this technology, and you're just going to put that up next to the microphone, aren't you? <laughs> yes. All right. So five minutes, go. Um, Phil, were you were you bothered in Finland by the fact that a missile went over uh, Japan? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, I mean, there, I, there's, lots of, there's lots of angles to this, um, one of which is the, the, the call. I, I mean, the Japanese are pissed, right? I mean, yeah. they're, like, there's, they've, they've responded. They're not happy about so. this. Um, but the, the the relative calm with which they handled this is pretty remarkable, there right? That there was yeah. like, go, you know, take shelter and be prepared. I, I can't begin to imagine what would happen if North Korea launched a missile over the United States, oh, like God. the ways in which we would freak out. So I, that's, that's, I think, um, uh, noteworthy. It's also worth noting, I think, that Trump just like a few days before this talked about how he thought that that kim jong-un had gotten the message and had settled down right that like he recognized the seriousness he had said something to the effect that uh, you know north korea now respects us they understand i respect that they respect us right and he used the word respect multiple times and so for me this is the most interesting element because trump raised the ante with his locked and loaded fire and fury all of this hoping that that increased rhetoric would get North Korea to say, like, oh, man, this guy's crazy. Let's yeah. calm it down. And then North Korea says, uh-uh, we're going to launch a missile over Japan. The ball's in your court, Donald, right? I mean, so now, yeah. now is he trapped by his own rhetoric? Does he have to do something? I mean, He's got to double down. He's always got to double down. When has Donald Trump ever been trapped by his own rhetoric? <laughs> <laughs> so the Security Council yesterday met for, you know, this emergency session for four hours, and they came out, and they condemned it, Nick. They said this was terrible, uh, and they said that, you know, this I'll is— write you a strongly worded letter. Exactly, and they, the c- condemnation was entirely anger. words. <laughs> you know? so, so does Trump just move on and say, okay? I mean, does he—I don't know. I mean, he's not going to let it go. Is that what you're implying? But what can, what else can he do? 
He's uh, really? Do he's you really used, want to go down that road? Well, I mean, in, I don't think he can actually do something, right? I mean, we could do more exercises off the coast, and that's in some ways what prompted North Korea to respond. In North, uh, South Korea and the United States had engaged in this 11-day military operation. Which they do every year. Right, right. right. And some of that is intentional, uh, but what else can you do besides that? You know, you've got enough sanctions. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. Bluster. Yeah. Bluster, yeah. Targeted assassinations. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have strangely enough gone from being sort of panicked about the North Korea situation, and, and not the situation, but the, the fact that we have Donald Trump handling the North Korea situation. A couple of weeks ago, I was fairly panicked by that, to really kind of feeling sort of okay with it. <laughs> because I, I think um, I, I just, I've sort of come around to, I, I can't imagine that we're, like, if we weren't going to do targeted strikes in North Korea before they had a nuclear weapon that could possibly reach mainland U.S., I can't imagine that we're going to do it now, right? Like, I mean, this is just, this is, North Korea is being, North Korea is smart enough. They're not going to preemptively attack the U.S. They're going to continue to, you know, do this, push the limits, raise the stakes, because they want to negotiate and they want to get concessions. And, and so it's rational for them to do this. And it would be irrational for us to respond in any sort of extreme way. And I don't know, for some reason this week, I kind of feel like despite the sort of increased stakes, I, I sort of feel better about it than I felt in a while. But irrationality I, is our middle name now. I know. know. That's, that's true. That's I think true. what's making you feel good, Phil, is that Trump was distracted. Remember the previous North Korea episode, Trump was distracted by Nazis. Yeah. And then it got better. Now he's distracted by a hurricane and other things going on. If if there was nothing else other than North Korea, he's he's going to have more than That's just true. his tweet. Like today, he tweeted something that you know the time for discussion and words is over, right? I mean, I, 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 that, I'm still true. worried. If he weren't in the <laughs> middle of dealing with the hurricane, what would he have done sure. the last couple of days in response? That's true. I might feel way more panicked if that were the case. That's the thing. Like I, I don't even know if this will hit his radar by the time it's i mean it's pretty much done at this point he's uh, so excited about the hurricane i mean the hurricane's big news yeah great it's ratings great, great, ratings. great ratings biggest ever great biggest ratings. ever he can, he can look presidential huge. yeah the, north korea released a picture of kim jong-un and a bunch of his generals around him uh, and Another he's at a one. table his <laughs> smile i've never seen him smile like this i mean it was just it, it, it was clear that north korea had said like you know, back to you, Donald. We've, we've raised the ante on crazy, and now it's to you. See, I would I, really I, respect them more if they would just put that out in a statement. Just your move. All, <laughs> all of this discussion of how crazy he is, I like, the actual last few weeks have made me, have convinced me more so that Kim Jong-un may be nasty, but he is, he is rational. Like, it seems like he's actually playing his hand pretty yeah. smartly. I, I, before we go into the next topic, I want to just point out that you're going to hold that up like people can't see it really quietly and there's a camera I know. we're going out through Facebook right I, for, I forgot that there's a camera, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so both of our viewers will be disappointed in that. Oh. Actually, there's a few more. Now. Yeah, we've had a couple of people join us. So, All right, so topic uh, number two. I'm excited about this one. So there is more uh, Trump-Russia update. So uh, this week there were emails released from uh, Felix Sater, who is a former Trump business associate and uh, Trump's lawyer, uh, Cohen, regarding a potential Trump Tower in Moscow. Mm -hmm. 
Now, there had been no discussion of this, and Trump has repeatedly said, I have no business ties to Russia. I have no ties to Russia. And then it comes out this week that, in fact, uh, this Felix Sater had emailed Cohen, Trump's lawyer, saying, like, I can make this happen. We can get our guy in the, in the presidency. This is a big, big deal. It's going to happen. And then Michael Cohen actually emails to Vladimir Putin's uh, I don't know, media guy, somebody emails somebody directly in Russia saying, like, we want to work with this. So there's, there's clear effort on the side of the Trump, at least business partnership to engage russia did we not know that already though but he had denied it well, i don't care dude i mean did we not know that was happening oh, i forgot to point? start not, there are, not how many how we many did denials did we have from members of the administration at this point a lot a okay lot. yeah well, I, well, that, so before we go further in your this, I, in your in your just your introduction of felix sater you left out his most important accomplishment which is that he stabbed somebody with a margarita's glass still multiple times he's been convicted for fraud he served jail time and then in fact afterwards he has he became an fbi informant he went back to russia so this guy is a character everybody around trump is a character uh but yes this guy is he's he's something else this this episode kind of is a like a perfect little microcosm or it's like a, a perfect example of the way the Trump administration has handled this. We we have no business ties to Russia. We have no investments in Russia. And then there's this weird like you wouldn't like he's a character out of a movie, this Felix Sater guy yes. that comes in who writes all these emails, like these emails confirming that they were trying to build a, a you know, a Trump Tower in Moscow, all of this like this is the second now explicit email we have from the Trump administration saying, hey, let's collude with Russia. Sounds like a good idea. Right. So we have two of them now in email form. And then um, (laughs) Trump's response to this was essentially that's not true. And I don't even know who this Felix Sater guy. I don't really know him, (laughs) which has been the Trump defense. And then did you see they came out with the, you know, business cards cards where he's listed as advisor to the president to to Donald Trump or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, all of this attempt to just sort of brush it off as, oh, I don't know that person. We don't have ties. They're like, despite the blatant evidence otherwise. Yeah. All right. So, uh, 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 again, what's what's the the um, the end game here? What's the result of this? I'm guessing if your answer is anything other than nothing, I'm going to hit you. Okay, get ready to hit me. <laughs> so I don't think I, I think it's it's nothing nothing particularly sexy or exciting comes of this. Like I don't know if anything changes on the surface. But what I do think this does is it brings in it gives an excuse for the Mueller investigation to actually in, uh, interrogate and question Cohen, who is Trump's uh, personal attorney. So I I think it opens doors in the investigation that wouldn't necessarily have been opened before. Okay. So I, I think that's not an insignificant development on that end. Mm-hmm. On the on the sort of surface, I think you're right. Like there's nothing is going to change in terms of you know it's, it's not going to force a Trump resignation or you know anything like that. Sure. No, I think that's right. I think, there, but there's a distinction between. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Felix Sater, who's who's he's a bullshitter, right? I mean, he's somebody who tells stories. He's living this extra, extravagant lifestyle. He's stabbing people with margarita glasses, right? I mean, he's a character, and I don't necessarily trust his email. So when he emails Cohen and says we're going to get this guy in the White House, I mean, when he emails Cohen to say I got connections with Putin, he also points out that. Uh, uh, Trump's uh, Ivanka uh, gets, gets to sit in Putin's chair, right? He's like, I made that happen. I can get this guy elected. So I, I don't trust him. But the fact that Trump's lawyer is now emailing Russia saying, 
hey, this thing is stalled. Let's get it going again. Although, interestingly, he didn't directly, I think it was Peskov, he didn't have his direct email. He just emails it to, like, the, the main email thing, you know, yeah, which, again. Dear customer support, right. can we get this We would like to, to collude. Through? Is somebody there that we can collude with? <laughs> KGB at Russia.gov. <laughs> right. right. No, I think you're right, Phil, that with Mueller, this becomes a much bigger issue because now he can start to squeeze potentially uh, Felix Sater. He can go after Cohen. I mean, the other news we haven't really talked about is Paul Manafort this week. So uh, Mueller uh, subpoenaed both Manafort's, was it his spokesman and lawyer this week? So he's raided Manafort's house, and then he's going after a couple other individuals with subpoenas. So Manafort is absolutely getting squeezed. And, you know, if he gets squeezed enough, he might have some juice on the Donald. I still think that that no. might explain the timing of the RP, our Joe, the Sheriff Joe pardon yeah. as much as anything else, right? Mm-hmm. The, the increasing pressure on people around around Trump. The other, we only got a 40 seconds left, but the other interesting thing that came out... Do you want to hold it up so everyone can well, see? Well, 30, 36 seconds, Nick, now. Sorry. <laughs> so, so this didn't get much news, but earlier in the week, uh, the I think it was the Senate brought in this firm that c- carried out the dossier. So they hired this guy, this uh, investigative reporter, the, the PP tape, you know, all of that came up. So they testified, the head of that <laughs> testified for 10 hours, and they stand by the dossier. And it's specifically the connections with Russia. So uh, this, I think, is a blockbuster once it comes out. So nah. five seconds, Nick. Yeah, I, I have no response to that. I there just, have, there I have like been a number. Tape. There's the bell. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Phil. No, all right, well, we'll save it for later. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Topic number three. Actually, we should point out that Mike Nassett has uh, joined, and he says, hey, Mike Nassett is here. I love Mike it. Nassett's here. What? It's <laughs> great. All right. We're on topic number three. Uh, Sebastian Gorka. Uh, Sebastian Gorka, who was a foreign policy advisor at best uh, and many other things, uh, was... Uh, he's, he gone. He, he's right. He said he resigned this week. Uh, the, the White House discreetly said he didn't resign. Uh, so I think <laughs> you it's... Quit. You can't quit. You're fired. Right. A few, worth a few minutes talking about Sebastian Gorka. There's the bell. Uh, Phil, what's your sense of Sebastian and the, the value he brought to the administration? I, I've already forgotten him. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, I mean, what, what an he's an asshole. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I, would go with, is, I would go with ass clown, but yes. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah. So in, living in the world of academics, there are lots of, of – I mean, there are lots of brilliant academics. There are also a lot of pretentious assholes in academics. Yes, yes. And he you is like say. the quintessential version of that. Yes. <laughs> he had a shitty doctorate that wasn't even really a doctorate that he like hyped up and claimed that he was an expert on things that he wasn't an expert on was, you know, a, a, he was he was bad. He wasn't giving good advice. He was a terrible counterterrorism expert. <laughs> I could go on. I don't. He won't be missed at all. But he's also. This is also a good example of like I, how I. You know, these are the 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 um, the symptoms and not the disease, right? So you get rid of Bannon and you get rid of Gorka and all of this, and nothing's really changing, right? Like there's not. Uh, you're you're getting rid of these kind of despicable figures or these problematic figures I should say they're not necessarily despicable um, they're despicable but not everyone will agree <laughs> with that um, these problematic people but Trump's behavior isn't changing so there's a weird thing going on here where there's this chance that maybe Kelly is actually bringing stuff into line and cleaning house in a way that might be good 
but I'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence on the other end in terms of what Trump is saying or doing or tweeting that, that necessarily encourages me. Well, it feels like they're just getting rid of people. And I, I firmly believe that Kelly is responsible for that to some degree. But there's it doesn't seem like there's any effort to fill any of the positions anymore. Right. They're just completely, it's just tumbleweeds going through the White House at this point. They're all unnecessary, Nick. Well, you just you cut them down, right? Right. It's all bureaucracy. <laughs> we don't need any of them. Well, you're right, Phil, in the sense that, like, his Ph.D., most – a lot of academics were questioning the credentials there. He a was <laughs> – all. <laughs> he, he wasn't given security clearance. So so he was supposed to be this foreign policy expert who wasn't allowed to sit in on most – he wasn't allowed to sit in the National Security Issue uh, Council. He would give interviews, but that was basically the extent of it. There were allegations that he had ties to, like, some Hungarian Nazi organization. Not allegations. He wore the medal of the organization that was given to his, I think, his grandfather? Well, that's an allegation, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, yeah, right. But the best thing was is, like, the, the, the defense that they offered for him is, like, he's not real. He's, like, his Nazi sympathies are not, like, extreme, right? You know, it's, like, well, he just, he's just, he has he moderate. It's a history. Right. It's fine. So yeah. this guy, and and. You're right, Phil. At his core, he was so pretentious that Trump brings in lots of characters. And Trump has an ego and he has his own thing. But most of them aren't pretentious in the way that Sebastian Gorka was. I no, mean, he was their asshats. Right. He was he was insufferable. I mean, he just was better than everyone around him and did lots of press. And I was happy. Not only did he get fired, but then they cut his access to the White House the next day. So, like, there were multiple <laughs> memos shut, sent out saying, like, this guy doesn't get in. Like, pictures, like, Gorka, no, enter. That's so, per- I mean, clearly, that's what every corporation does at this point anyway. So, yeah, you know, right, whatever. That's true. Yeah. And he, he take ended. away his key card. No, his password <laughs> doesn't work anymore. And now the new argument for anybody who leaves the Trump administration is that I can do more good work on the outside. No, no, you can't. You, he goes back to Breitbart. He doesn't have the same power or access or influence uh, he has in the White House. I don't know about that. No, <laughs> oh, I don't so, know. So, ten years from now, and someone mentions to you the names Scaramucci, Bannon, and Gorka. Who, which of those three people has will have left ten years from now, the least, or maybe which of them will have the? Will you remember any of them, and like in what way? Like, will they matter? Well, the three of us are going to have flashbacks about it, but for the 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 regular American, yeah, I don't think anyone is going to give two shits about it. The, the mooch loses, right? I mean, he was 10 days. I mean, he was it was a fantastic 10 days, but that's it for the mooch. He was memorable, at least, in his 10 days. Yes. Like, Gorka is like... Gorka's gone, too, yeah. He's just, yeah, like, just... Uh, there were there were bizarre ways, aspects of Scaramucci that were sort of endearing. Yes. And there's nothing endearing about Sebastian Gorka. No, and we will continue to hear from Sebastian Gorka because he'll continue to write and do press. But, uh, no, of those three, Bannon's the only one who I think has le- legacy, right? He's, I mean, he's are, a smart guy. He knows what he's doing, and I think he'll be influential. Are, I, I know we're basically out of time, but are you encouraged by him being given the boot or not? Like, does it make a difference? Do you feel better at all with him gone? Do we say this every time? Uh, okay, we do. About, okay. Here's what I would say. Yes, only because I hate Gorka so much. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's not going to change anything. To, you know, the point you made is like Trump Trump going to be Trump. and uh, <laughs> Trump going to Trump. <laughs> and it's not going to matter. And I think the significant thing is Bannon, the brains, and Gorka, the, the mouth, are gone. Yep. And Trump is still Trump. So... 
he's maybe more Trump than like he may he's like un, undil, undistilled or undiluted Trump. He's just yeah. like pure Trump. If if if, if Gorka is listening, I don't like you, Gorka. Uh, <laughs> pure uncut Trump. Yes. All right. Uh, topic number four. This is actually a, a real substantive topic. So, uh, talking about free speech following the Charlottesville uh, violence, and so. Uh, the ACLU, which interestingly uh, actually sued so that the Unite the Right rally could happen. So they, the ACLU has this long history of defending uh, extremist groups, neo-Nazi groups, and say, you have a right, free speech matters, and you have the right to, to present. Well, this week or this last week, they came out and said they're shifting that, uh, and they are no longer going to protect events where there is the protesters want to carry guns. And they're saying we are happy to protect, uh, pr- uh, argue for anybody because but guns were the problem. Well, guns, Nick, guns can be a problem, but but can you uh, start the timer. Well, I'm not done with an intro, Nick. Fine, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm all right. So the ACL ACLU has shifted their stance to say that we're no longer going to protect groups on the left or the right if they're uh, going to show up with guns. Oh, and the question is, you know, what do we what do we think of this? Bell bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> what what is what do you think is bullshit about that? Uh, I think it wasn't a um, – the fact that they came out and said that you have a right to uh, peacefully protest regardless of your political stance was the absolute right move to do, and I respected yep. them for that. The fact that they did it in the context of what occurred, which, again, we've said it ad nauseum, was horrible, um, and then try to cloak it in this – this thing that it's it's about guns and we're going to try and do that because we know who the people are that are going to be carrying guns at these events not the people that are carrying clubs or bike locks or rocks or anything like that um it's um it's it just seems extraordinarily hypocritical to me Hmm. so i i I don't know like when when i had heard that they were defending their uh, the um uh the the right for um unopposed free speech for that particular rally, I really respected them for that. And that is not an organization that I wouldn't normally ever so, say that about. Yeah, so the ACLU gets this weird rap in America where they get particularly demonized by the right. And and they are a group that if you look at them, they kind of piss everybody off, which to me means they're doing something right. Like they're, they defend... Like they, you know, they defend Nazis and they defend, you know, they like the what's the crazy right wing religious, what's the church, the hate speech church oh, um, that I can't remember in Kansas. Yes, like I mean, they make they they defend religious freedoms. They defend all sorts of things that are popular on you know one side and unpopular on the other, and and they they don't you know they they kind of they they take up causes on both sides. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, my initial reaction was to say that I don't necessarily have a problem with this, well, partly because they're an organization and they can decide who they want to defend and, and not defend. But sure. yeah, I mean, I think the, the whole we're going to defend free speech of, of Nazis. We have an issue if it becomes threatening in some way and we're not necessarily going to take up that cause. But it, what is weird to me it, it, in some ways is that I mean, I would have to look at the mission statement of the ACLU. But if you're if you're defending like the basic I don't know what qualifies as a civil liberties, but the the right to bear arms in some ways enters into that as well. They don't they don't tend to take up that cause very often, though. I mean, they're more focused in on more sort of basic political and civil rights, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm willing to cut the ACLU a lot of slack on this, right? I, I think there's a distinction between an important distinction between speech 
and guns. And now, if and, the, if they say, well, no, Antifa because they only show up with clubs, then I, then I'll, I'll push back. And I think but you're they're right. not going to say that. But the implication is there. Well, we, I, we don't, know. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Nick. I I, I think they're distinct they, from some organizations. Yeah, go ahead. Phil. Okay. And, yeah. and they're they're not using this as an excuse to say we're never going to defend Nazis. They've said they will continue to defend the right of Nazis to organize and have free speech. Un, it's just that we're not Nazis. going. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. If you want to engage in, so it's. It's not a blank. I mean, in some ways, you're implying that that basically they're using guns as an excuse to not defend Nazis anymore, and they're they're not. They're still saying they will defend Nazis' right to have free speech I, to yeah, the end. I, I'm thinking that, I, I yeah, I, I think that on the face um, of the argument, they're saying that they're still going to do that. But the the underlying um, point of this is that realistically. Anyone who is not on the or anyone who is on the left realistically is probably not going to come to these protests with a weapon, and the people who are on the right are defenders of the Second Amendment and will almost certainly, in some instances, have a weapon there. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> Earlier today, we talked about how you totally bought into Donald Trump's argument that it's equal on both sides, and both sides are to blame, and the left yeah, also yeah, brings both, weapons. Uh, no, but you just agree. said that left doesn't bring weapons, and they're not going to bring guns. No, they so... don't bring guns. They do bring weapons. Okay. There's there's a distinction between those two things. But that seems to me an okay distinction. If 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 the ACLU wants to say. We, we will let you say whatever you want to say, but if you're showing up trying to say it with guns, like, that's a distinction, right? Okay, why why is gun, why is a, 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 a weapon like that the determining factor, but a club or a bat or bear mace or rocks or... Um, well, we don't know if that's because a gun. A gun like explodes that. your head and mace <laughs> makes your eyes okay, hurt. Okay, of these protests... Where was a gun fired that killed someone in one of these protests or injured there, someone? There are lots of videos in Charlottesville of protesters firing into the crowd and stuff. There was one this yeah. week. There was the guy who fired at like, well, like aimed his gun at a group of, of left wing protesters and opened fire. He had the safety on or something, right? It was, it was yeah, no, it, I don't know. clearly he was very safe with it then, so it's fine. <laughs> no. yeah. I think speech. I think the speech is separate from the Second Amendment. And if the ACLU wants to say we want to defend speech, I, but not your right to be, I mean. In the end, realistically, I don't give a shit about the ACLU, but I think a lot of people take them as an organization, take them as more than an organization, and it, mm. it's become this, not holier than thou, but this, this something greater than, than what it should be. You're right, it is an organization, and we should not look to it as a be-all, end-all in these discussions. I think some people do. Yeah, and I think on the op the other thing that about this is that the ACLU has become this... I don't, straw man is probably not the right word, but it's like this demonized thing that it's easy for like the right to say, oh, the ACLU, they're everything that's wrong with America without actually getting at the fact that they do a lot of stuff on, you know, sort of all sides. I think that it's not not totally fair to purely demonize them. Well, I mean, everyone's at fault. <laughs> well, at some point we should this is we're on we're, this speed round is over. But at some point we should have a longer segment on free speech because I yes. do think this is an important issue and I'm glad the ACLU is is pushing this and 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 I think there I will say real quickly from the left the ACLU is getting a lot of pressure to say like go even further, right? right? You know, right. Uh, it's not just the violence, like condemn Nazis and the ACLU right. has drawn a line to say no, all speech is acceptable, just not, you know, don't bring your violence to your speech. Right. No. All right, okay. Nick, you're going to love this topic, too. Yeah, I'm All sure right. I will. Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Actually, I will enjoy this one a lot. So, all right, real quickly, so we got five minutes left. We're going to talk about Hillary Clinton is coming up with a new book. 
And uh, a preview was released of this book where she read segments of the book and talked about the debate uh, where she was asked a question and was answering a question and Donald Trump was uh, looming behind her in a kind of creepy way, which was true, Nick. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> and she said that her skin crawled uh, during the debate, and she contemplated turning around and confronting him on this. Uh, and so, you know, it's, this is kind of an interesting topic because I think there's a couple things. One, you know, that issue, that interaction that she had with him, but also the broader issue of whether uh, Hillary Clinton, this is the right time for her to be reemerging. Nick, you can start. Uh, no, she should uh, go back into the portal from the netherworld that she came from. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I realistically, no. I, looking at the videotape and people try and say that Trump wasn't doing that, you know, it was the camera angles and she's being, you know, flipping about this and, and trying to garner support. No, he was absolutely looming over her. Like, there's no question about that. He's whatsoever. good at that. He's good at it. Probably had some and practice. It's, it's an intimidation thing. Yeah. It's, you know, he's that kind of guy. I, I think we're all aware of that at this point. It just. The fact that, and really, had she said something to him in that moment, I would have respected her tremendously. Really? Yes. If she had I, turned around. I'm skeptical. No. <laughs> no. Had she turned around and said what she said, you know, whatever, something along the lines of, you know, back off creep or something like that. I, I forgot the, the audio. Orange concert. man. Orange man. Yes. Carrot person. Um, like that would have the fact that she's saying it now does nothing for me it doesn't make her sympathetic it doesn't make me um, want to support her more had she been honest in that particular moment it would have said something more to me about her character so that's interesting Nick I know right I learned something about Nick Phil (laughs) (laughs) so I am sympathetic to her because I think that it was a situation where she couldn't win like I think I not I I don't I'm I'm skeptical that her confronting him would have played well I think it would have I think it would have come across I I don't know I don't I don't she was in a spot where it would have been difficult to actually confront him on that because she would have been critiqued for overreacting and all sorts of other stuff so and uh, or she can go on and ignore it and pretend nothing there's I just don't think there's a win there's a way that she can win in that situation so the caveat to that that I have um Considering the rhetoric that he was using, I, I think that was the debate where he goes that um, you would have been in jail or something like that. And everybody's going, oh! Like, realistically, the the veil of... Um, um, what's the word? Um, silence? Yeah, veil of silence. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, just the, the, the decorum of those particular debates were gone at that point. And realistically, if you're going to play the game... He, he was clearly willing to do whatever it took to make his point and to um, come out on top in that in that particular situation. And I, I like I, I feel like she could have really grasped that moment and taken advantage of it. It might not have necessarily fit with her particular mold, but that would have been more endearing to me at the time. Well, you have to, was, we have to remember that she was in the lead and everybody thought she wins this election. So well, you're right. Uh, if, if, if it would have been a close election, maybe she would. But the fact that she thought, I have to be careful, I have to be safe here, it deterred her from maybe doing that. Um, sure. I, I tend to, I mean, I, I think 
she's accurate in in her description and her experience, and it's probably an experience that women around the country and many women who've interacted with Trump have had. Right? That's, that's so a I, normal if, thing. If I were like you know teaching a class or involved in some sort of discussion, and you, Bill, who I know, like <laughs> if you like loomed behind me the whole time the way Trump did around her, I would have been uncomfortable and freaked out yeah. right and i'm like a six foot four guy i'm not uh, you know it's just a, i i yeah i i agree i well, think i would have anybody felt... does it it's an intimidation tactic yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so, was this the same de- was that the same debate that that trump brought the all the accusers of yes. bill clinton to that was the exact I, I think same it was debate. wasn't it yeah which was brilliant again <laughs> well I mean, again an intimidation effect <laughs> right for... it's exactly what it was play the fucking game so i for me that's that that Angles. It's not right, but play it. Right. You know, looking back in history is interesting, but I also wonder, is this the right time for Hillary to bring this forward, right? Is it? I think about both Hillary and Obama. There's lots of pressure for them to come out and be more forceful in their condemnation of Trump and attack him. I wonder whether this backfires, right? Does this not give, I don't think the book does necessarily, but does this not give Trump the enemy that he needs to come back and push back against? I don't know if it's the right time, and I don't know if there ever is a right time to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think from a strategic standpoint, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, there's, there's, I, in some, uh, you can basically argue that there's never a wrong time to say this, right? Like she was feeling uncomfortable, she can say it whenever she wants. But yeah, I think you're, you're right in the sense of, from a Fox News perspective, it like gives you a chance to again start talking about Hillary and demonizing her and taking the pressure off of Trump and the other things. Do you th- here? I know we're about to run out of time. Do you think this? Is the writing of this book and all of this and the kind of press tour that she's going on, does this indicate, I've seen some people say that this they think this means that she might run again. Oh, God. Do you, no way, no way. I can't, it can't. She can't, right? I don't think her body can take she, it. She can. Of course she can. No. She's she's incredibly ambitious, right? Like, I, I could totally see her doing it again. That's it. I think, a really I, interesting I think it would, it would, I don't think it would, I How don't think it's a good she? idea. I don't know. She's, she's late she's, 60s? I think so. She's a little bit. Younger than Trump, yeah. but not basically very similar in age. Yeah. Okay. I, I I mean I I can't see a situation where I, I don't know, man. Like I can't see a situation where she would be a better alternative to someone who is younger and you know and and up and who's um sixty nine. Sixty. Oh 69. God, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, like I, I can't see the Democratic Party choosing her over like a Kamala Harris or something, some some I can, someone else along those lines. I can a hundred percent see the Democratic Party choosing her. I think it would be a terrible yes, idea yes. for oh, them to choose right. her. Right. But it's the t- right. type of thing that the Democratic Party would do would be to double down on Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that is a really good. Point. You might be right. It would it would be a terrible decision. The Democratic Party has an opportunity with Trump, right? To to think about going young, going in a very different direction, yeah. uh, and that would be that would allow if 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 she was running against Trump again. Right. Oh, oh God! It would be an. It would, we would. It would be relitigating that same election again. Um, I can't yeah. do that again. No, no. no. We, don't, we don't have enough energy. <laughs> There's not enough beer on the planet. No. Um, was that our last round? Yeah, we're done. Really? Speed round is over. We did uh, well. Uh, anything that we can answer for the few people who can are you read? Here? The, my eyes aren't that well. Um, can you read the question? Yeah, I can. Old man, can't read. Yeah, some <laughs> at a bad angle. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> Robert says there's a good interview with ACLU attorney on last week's Politically Reactive podcast. 
did you hear thoughts specifically? Answer oh, I did. I didn't I see didn't this. Hear, no, but we should. We'll we should to, check it out. Phil, we'll you should check it out. You're good at yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> doing work on that. We'll, we'll get our non-existent um, interns right on that. Yeah. Um, anything else from Phil? You look like you got something. No. no, I was just looking. I was looking at the comments as well. I don't, Robert. I don't know. Hey, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I haven't. We'll have to. I'll look at. I'll. I'll look at that uh, podcast. Maybe we can talk about that next week. Some. Yeah, that would be good. Um, anything else from you guys? No, the normal thing. Uh, you know, uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share with your friends. We're still in the stage of trying to build a listenership. Um, yeah, so this is actually, if, and if you haven't, if you're listening to us on audio, which most people are these these days, uh, go to the Facebook page and uh, share the uh, video with your friends. Yeah, um, yeah, Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics, uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul, um, Barstool Politics at Yahoo.com. Uh, you can find all of our beers on the Untapped app. Um, can I say this every time? I don't think there's anything I'm missing. No, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Got the email um, in there. That's important. Yeah, we'll um, we're we're gonna try and figure out the technical thing for for Facebook Live and and that stuff going forward. Um, it was a little bit of a struggle this week, but we'll be back to our, our normal scheduled yeah. programming next week. Um, anything else, guys? Yeah, it's great. Cheers. All right. That's it. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys.